And uh, we're going to have uh, this morning, we're going to have a little bit, almost like more like an evening service type service. Mine will just get added a little here. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, the party's over. The party's over. And we're going to go through Daniel chapter 5. If you have your ears open, you'll learn some truth and doctrine as you go along. you also let the Lord deal with your heart about what it needs dealt with. And I'll seek to do the same as I preach. And uh, we're going to go through here in Daniel chapter 5. Let me pray with you and then we'll get started. Father, I pray for your guidance and to stay exactly on track with your Word. Uh, to not do despite to it in any way, either by omission or by adding to. Father, I pray that I would stay right on track with it. And help your people through the this passage you've led my mind to throughout the week, uh, preparing for today. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Daniel chapter 5 is an unusual thing going on. It's an unusual event in the history of the world. A kingdom is getting ready to change. Not just a new ruler coming into a kingdom, but an entire kingdom with an entirely different people group is going to change. That is a radical thing to have happen. Um, the kingdom that's getting ready to fall is, uh, is Babylon, which was a city, but also exerted influence of a... a a, uh, a almost worldwide impact at the time. Babylon was a magnificent city and its building and the things that were in there. Uh, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon are known as one of the eighth wonders of the ancient world. And it's not just like, you know, you think elevated gardening that we do now. These things, uh, they were there in the plain, plain, towards the plain of Shinar and they looked from a distance like mountains. There were trees on them. There were this entire forest and they were built up. The irrigation system that was needed for that, the way of, the way of taking care of it, is, is still a marvel to this day. That city was ruled by a, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, a very, very powerful man. Um, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar, of course, uh, defied the, the living God and for a seven-year period, we believe it to be seven years, it said seven times, I believe it to be seven years, um, that he was made to be like an animal. He absolutely, he, they, they fed him on grass. He, his hair grew long and he had cl- almost claws like talons from his nails. He became like a wild animal and became like a beast. And yet his kingdom was held secure for him. He had seen a vision about a tree and then that tree was cut down, which was him. Uh, the, ba- the, the base of that tree was kept with a, with a band, a brass band around it, and that, that band kept it together. And when God was done teaching, uh, teaching Nebuchadnezzar the lesson he's going to teach him, which is this lesson here, it's the theme of the book of Daniel, that the Lord God ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. And when he learned, when Nebuchadnezzar learned he wasn't actually in charge, God reinstated him to his kingdom. Also in history, that's a, that's a very unusual thing. You don't have the ruler who's built a kingdom out of the picture for seven years and then come back, even if he's exiled or something, to come back and, and, and have full power again. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar immediately praised and extolled the God of heaven and, and, and honored the Lord from that point on with that. And that's a tremendous thing. Now, in chapter 5, we end up uh, dealing with Belshazzar, the descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, at this time that's recorded in chapter 5, this, this uh, city of Babylon, which had a, a wall so large that they could run chariots with six horses on it on top of the walls. There was no way to get into Babylon. And if you besieged it, if you took an army and put it around Babylon, you couldn't starve them out. 
because the river, the Euphrates River, ran down through there and ran through the midst of the city. There were there was uh, uh, openings where the the river could go through, and then there were there were barred gates that came down into the river, and then inside the city there were walls along that river, and there were the there were the iron and brass uh, gates and those things inside. So if you could swim underneath, which you couldn't do effectively with a bunch of people, if you could actually get underneath and up with a few people, then you're going to be in a fortified position inside the city. So that city could be self-contained. It could get rid of its waste and it could keep its agriculture going even if it was besieged. Usually the way a city would be taken over if they, they didn't have the uh, um, what they called the engines of war, the, the capacity to knock the walls down or to breach the walls, which is more common, they, they uh, go up over them that you could starve the people out because after a while their food supply would run out. Uh, Babylon was self-sustaining self, uh, as a city. By the way, interesting, on the archaeology of uh, Babylon, it was divided into 666 divisions uh, as far as the layout of the city went. And it's pretty interesting with it if you study all of Daniel and, and find out some of what was going on with that. That's an important number. But what happened was, uh, long, long came the Medo-Persian uh, army and the Medes and the Persians, and, and uh, they came along, and what they did was they diverted part of the river. They did not dry the river out, but they diverted a, a channel to which would take part of the river down to a lower place of elevation, and at a certain time, they broke their fortifications down that, were, that was keeping the river in its channel and let a good portion of the river you know, temporarily go a different direction, and they came in within the city. And uh, as they came in and, and took that city, it fell in one night. This city that was so powerful that you couldn't get to with the technology of the day, and one night it was gone. And all its opulence and all its power, I mean, it still existed, but as far as it being a Chaldean kingdom, it being uh, uh, ruled by the people it had been ruled by, that was done. And those events happened within chapter 5, of Daniel. So those historical events I'm telling you about are what was going on when Daniel 5 happened here. And this is, this is what God was doing during that time. So let's pick it up in Daniel 5 verse 1. First thing we have is the king. You see his name there. It's Belshazzar. So help me out here. What's the king's name? Belshazzar. What Belshazzar means is Bel, which is their false god, Bel protect the king. He didn't do a good job on that one, did he? And um, so Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. So they're having a big, drunken party. I mean, it's party time in Babylon. And Babylon was the height of opulence. It was the height of wealth. It was, it was the height of learning. There were some amazing things that came into that city. And it was party time in Babylon town. And they, they were going at it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I look at that, and one of the first things that comes out is what is in Proverbs 31. It talks about the prophecy of King Lemuel. And it says, uh, the prophecy that went upon him, given by his mother, it said this, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. And so... There's another interesting verse to me in the Bible. It says in Proverbs 34, verse 3, it says, Give not thy strength unto women or thy ways unto that which destroyeth kings. I one time went through a study and said, What has destroyed some of the kings in the Bible? Whether they be kings of Israel or heathen kings that interacted with Israel. What destroyed kings? I find the top four I found that went on. Number one was pride. 
It's what destroyed kings. Destroyed King Saul. It took down King Nebuchadnezzar. It, it has destroyed many, many a, a person. Lifted up and they become exalted to their self and pride takes them down. Pride is the one thing with it. Drunkenness and liquor have taken down many a king and many a person in life. And it's amazing how churches are embracing that. We've had people leave this church because I'll preach against booze and they want to go to a church where it's okay to social drink and where it's okay this and the preacher's not going to say anything about it. Well, you're going to decide what you're going to do with life. That's your choice to make. But in the house of God here, you're going to hear truth. I'm going to, I'm going to warn you about that which can hurt you. And uh, try to do it and uh, do it in a, uh, hopefully always in a spirit of love, but I don't want to see you busted up. Uh, my dad was a, was a, a, a six foot two and a half tall man. Yes, I know I missed it. My papa was 5'6". That's where I got that. Um, but uh, intelligent man, talented man, and he died a shameful, disastrous life. And a big part of what happened with that was liquor uh, took it. You said, well, that's what makes you so upset at liquor. No, I just, I knew that was a mess. But when I got in the Bible, I started realizing the Bible calls this thing a serpent. It calls this thing poisonous and it destroys people. And I, I'll guarantee you something. If you took a state trooper, when we were over at the church at Liberty, when we helped start, we had a, we had a, a state trooper was one of our members. He didn't have a real high regard for drunk driving, that sort of thing. He had been there and scraped up the people off the pavement and seen the busted up lives and had to go to the house to tell somebody, mommy and daddy wasn't coming home that night because somebody was driving drunk. I guarantee you, and I'm going to tell you as a preacher of the gospel for 40 years and working with people's lives and seeing people's lives get busted up and broken up, it breaks my heart and I warn everybody I can, don't mess with stuff that's going to destroy you. God doesn't want you messed up. You're His creation. Sin breaks us up. Sin destroys us. That's not why He made us. There's something a lot better for you in life. And so what happened was, he, 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 was, he was there and He made this big drunken party. I told you four things I found that destroy kings. Pride, drunkenness, uh, mocking of God. He does that too here too. And then, uh, then being weighed in the balance and found wanting. You'll find out about that and I'll spend a little more time. And by the way, those of you who are visitors, don't worry. I know you can see the size of the chapter. I said I'm going through it and we're one verse in. The rest won't take this long, okay? Just If you're calculating when you need to act like you need to go to the bathroom and leave, no, I, I won't be that long, I promise, all right? Then, <laughs> so he made, he made this drunken feast. He, he dealt with this thing going on with him. Um, let me give you one other thing with that. Look in Proverbs uh, chapter 23. Don't lose your place in Daniel, but look in Proverbs 23. We believe in using Bible around this place. Proverbs 23. And I'll give you a warning. I've given you a warning, but let me give you the Word of God and, and it'll help you. Proverbs 23, verse 29. It asks, starts with the question, who hath woe? Woe is an amalgamation or a gathering together of hurts, damages, and pains. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Always a fighting thing. Who hath babbling? That's just a bunch of nonsense talk and jabbering going on. Who hath wounds without cause? No reason for them. Who hath redness of eyes? Answer, they that tarry long at the wine... They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. You say, what's that talking about? It's talking about the fermentation process. The term wine is used in your Bible to deal with everything from the juice while it's in the grape until a point of fermentation. You can tell what you're dealing with by context, how it fits in. And this fermentation process here, is, this is what turns it from something uh, that's helpful and, and, and something that's healthful to something that is damaging. And uh, you say, oh, preacher, I, I can take a drink. I won't become a drunkard. No, you may not. 
Not everybody who takes a drink becomes a drunkard, but I will guarantee you something. I'm 56 years old. I've been working with people for 40 years. I've never met a drunk yet that didn't start with a drink. There's some things aren't worth messing with, folks. That's all there is to it. It says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last. Look at that verse. At the last. Not the first time. Not the first time. Just a little sensational buzz. thing. But at the last. See, you've got to be able to look at the long view of things and see what's going on. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And the idea of saying it's an injection of poison there. Isn't it amazing that the adders, especially the, the Russell Viper and the Puff Adder and different ones that are indigenous to that region of the world, uh, you end up with either a hematoxin or a neurotoxin or a mixture of the two according to what the, the serpent is. And you say, what's a hematoxin? It affects the blood. It, it goes into the blood, the circulatory system, and destroys you that way. It's not unusual for you to get necrosis from that, which is a type of rotting of the flesh that happens after your bit and that sort of thing. A neurotoxin explains itself. It, it attacks the neurological function usually kills by shutting down uh, the respiration because you can't get the, you can't get the uh, 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 impulse from the brain that's supposed to run your diaphragm and such. And so what ends up happening, those are the way the Bible describes what happens. It affects your blood. It, it, it affects you. Uh, it, it destroys you and it affects your mind. It affects your heart. Everybody knows that. I remember a fellow, first name of Gary, that was a friend of my brother's. He died at 32 years old of alcohol poisoning. Sitting in his recliner watching his TV while his mom brought, he died of alcohol poisoning with beer. It takes a lot to do that. Of course, he drank other things too, but his main consumption was that. And he sat there day after day, not working, while his mom paid the bills and just kept bringing him beer after beer after beer and whatever else he wanted. And he, 32 years of age, he died. It was back in the 80s when he died. That's a mess. He said, boy, that's an extreme situation. It is. The Bible warns about the drunkenness wherein is excess. And so watch out for this. It destroys. You say, well, you're making a big deal of this one point. Yeah, because it plays into everything else that happens in this chapter. But at the last, verse 32, it biteth like a serpent, stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. That goes with it. And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as... As he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. What's that mean? You're back and forth. Or is he that lieth down on the top of a mass? That weaving, that back and forth, that instability. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. I didn't feel that. Stricken me, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. What a stupid thing to brag about. They ain't going to beat me. They're in high school coming in. Yeah, man. Puked all over myself, wrecked my car, and I'm sitting there going, I didn't even say it. Didn't even know the gospel, and I'm going... No, I worked to buy my car. That's, that's dumb. Um, I was not sick. They beat me and I felt it not. When shall I awake? Look at the sad last statement. I will seek it yet again. Man. So no wonder there's a problem going on in chapter 5. By the way, did I just scare you for our country? We have a booze-soaked, drugged-out, messed-up country with this illusion that somehow we're invulnerable and invincible. <laughs> what a joke that is. And he drank wine before the thousand. I'm back in Daniel 5. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, I, made it, I make an issue of that because the Bible does here. 
while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, in other words, different, you know, cups and different things like that, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. I'll not go into length on this, but Nebuchadnezzar had, had invaded Jerusalem in three different times, 586, 592, and 605 B.C. He came, he came through, I did that in inverted order, but he came through the, uh, and, and took out first those who were able to uh, rule and have, they had some uh, ability to learn. That's when Daniel came out. And then he came out and brought, uh, brought out the craftsmen and people who were pretty good at that. And then he went through and took the last group of people out of Israel. There were, there were some that were left in the land. From those came the Samaritans that you read about in the, in the New Testament. But uh, during those times when Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel, he stripped the temple that Solomon made, the, the, the big temple, he stripped it of all its goods. But Nebuchadnezzar never did this with them. He didn't put them on display for mockery. He put them as kind of a trophy. Well, Belshazzar, he says, hey, you remember that, that temple to that God down in Israel? Bring all those golden cups and stuff in. We're having a party. Look what they do with the vessels that, by the way, had been, had been sprinkled with the blood of the offering, had been consecrated through the priesthood for God's service. You say, why in the world were those taken captive? Because God's people went away from God. If we ever lose the presence of God, if we ever don't preach clearly Jesus Christ and Him crucified, if we ever don't believe this Bible is actually the Word of God, then all this is is a stinking building and it's going to be hard to sell because it's not a good real estate market. Old churches. By the way, I know how to market that. Church for sale. Some assembly required. Amen? Um, <laughs> it's a great marketing technique. Uh, they, but that's all it be. These hands have helped build this. Many of your hands have helped build this. We've invested in it. But without God, it's nothing. Without God, it's useless and pointless. We didn't come here. I did, God didn't bring me to this town 28 and a half years ago to build nice buildings at. It's to reach people with the gospel and help people to grow in their lives and tell the truth whether it's received or not received and do what God wants us to do. And I'm going to tell you, the only times that Israel was defeated by their enemies was when they forsook their God. Not to scare you for our country. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Not never knew God, forget God. You knew Him and went away from Him. May God have mercy on us. And so he says here, Belshazzar, verse 2, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, the wives and his concubines might drink therein. Now watch what they do. Then they brought the golden vessels which were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour. We're having a party. It's party time. Party just going to get ready to end. In the same hour came four fingers of a man's hand. Just, it doesn't say there's any sound with it. Just all of a sudden this hand appears. <laughs> Man, I wonder if they wonder what they've been drinking at this point, right? Came forth fingers in a man's hand and wrote over against the candlesticks. And when I asked him once, why buy the candlestick? I said, it's easier to read. There's light over there. I mean, be serious. Um, and I'm serious about that. I mean, don't, don't get so, so fancy in your mind. It just makes sense. Over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. 
And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So he's sitting there and he, oh, bring me those vessels out of that, that God from Israel. You remember we defeated him? And here we are. And you know, this, this, this king here hadn't done a thing to build that kingdom. He inherited the whole thing. He's a playboy prince. He didn't build anything in his life. And so he's sitting there and all of a sudden this hand appears and starts writing on the wall. That wasn't what they bargained on for sure. And by the way, isn't that a common term? Somebody says, I see the writing on the wall. That's taken from this account. In other words, you can see something's getting ready to happen. And so he saw the part of the hand that wrote. Verse 6, you're going to encounter a word here which is interesting. And then the king's countenance. That's his appearance. That's, that's how he appears. It has to do with his posture, his look, his, his whole thing. Uh, the, then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him to me. And, and I'm not being irreverent towards the Word of God. This is one of the most humorous verses in the Bible. And I don't, I'm not being flippant towards the Word of God, but look what the Lord recorded for us. So that the joints of his loins were loose and his knees smote one against another. Literally shook him up so bad he's just like that. I've seen people so nervous their teeth are chattering together. This old boy's knees were knocking. Seriously. That's, that's not a good thing. The king cried aloud, I bet, to bring in the astrologers. In other words, he's going to call in all his false worship stuff. His astrologers, the Chaldeans, which was a group, it's a people group actually that had the main ruling of, of the, the, this kingdom and they were known for their... Uh, uh, sciences and then also their mysticism. They, they had a mixture of the two things going, much like they had in Egypt and such. But it says here, it says, bring the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, which were his prophets um, that, that would say things to him. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So here he is offering you know, some lavish stuff for him. Then came in all the king's wise men. But guess what the story was? They could not read the writing. Well, there's a lot of writing on the wall that people can't read nowadays. You just mark her down. <clears throat> Why? Because they've got the same spirit this has. They came in and they could not read the writing. So they failed on that. And look at, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled. I mean, he'd already been as shook up as he was. Now he's greatly troubled. And his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. The idea of that astonishment there is such a thing that they just almost became like a stone. He's got a thousand of them at this party, and everybody's like, what's that mean? Nobody knows what that means. This hand just shows up. Writes on the wall. Nobody can read what it says. And everybody's scared in this deal with this. So look what happens with this. Verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. I don't know what all the story is there. And a lot of commentators like to comment on that, but they're just commenting because you can't find good scriptural backing for anything on that. But she wasn't in there where that party was happening at that time anyway. She seems to be sober-minded. <laughs> so the queen comes in, and look what she says, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, and came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. And that, that was a common greeting. This boy's not going to make it through the night, but she said it anyway, right? Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. Now watch what this. Watch what happens. Remember me telling you, you, you have the booze as one of the destroyers of kings. Another thing is the pride. Watch, how the, watch what Belshazzar does with this exchange. 
She says to him, There's a man in thy kingdom in whom the Spirit... Now, she says of the holy gods. She's a polytheist. She believes in many gods, so she frames it in the way that she thinks of things. But it is interesting. It's an unusual statement for a polytheist to make anywhere in the Bible. She attaches, a, attaches an adjective to gods. She says the holy gods. She doesn't have it right when she's talking about gods, plural, but she says, this one's God's different than ours. Something's different. And she picked up on that much anyway. So she makes a statement there to him. She says, there's a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom. In the Old Testament, one of the best pictures of Jesus Christ appears in the Old Testament. And it's Joseph in his life and what he does. Especially at the end of, end of uh, uh, the account in Genesis, when Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Joseph cares for, takes care of, and blesses those who had wanted to kill him and sold him into slavery. He's a, he's a beautiful picture of our Savior Jesus Christ. Can I say to you that Daniel is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit of God and how he works. And here he has with this, he has light and understanding and wisdom. Like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar... She keeps dropping that in. Why? In other words, the guy who built this whole kingdom that you were partying in? Nebuchadnezzar, whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Now, something strange going on. Daniel, who's the best man in the kingdom, had been totally ignored by this proud playboy king. She's having to tell the king who Daniel is. Daniel goes through four different kings. And he ends serving God. It's amazing. You know when Daniel was thrown in the, the, the den of lions? When you read that, I want you to understand something. You're dealing with a man who's right at 70 years old when he got tossed in there. I'm not some young fellow. No, Daniel stayed faithful through four different kings. Two complete king, uh, kingdoms. And so here old, old Belshazzar is, and, and he's, he, he's sitting there, and the queen's having to tell him about this, and uh, he doesn't even know who Daniel is because he's so proud, and, and, and such, he's, it's just, he, he, is, he is the biblical definition of a fool. He said, uh, verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts, you see all those things that the sweet Holy Spirit of God does for us were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Interesting. It's not Belshazzar. People will flip that. And that means the Lord of the straightened treasure. You say, what does that mean? I don't have a clue. Um, But that's what it means, sure enough. Hey, you figure that one out. You can tell me and we'll both learn something on that one. The Lord of the straightened treasure. I tried to search that and I'm like, okay, I don't know. Um, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, I think I just got something on it, um, be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. So get the picture. Everybody's in there. The, the lords and all of them are in there, and the king and all his wives and everybody. And everybody's completely upset about this. The party's on pause anyway. Everybody's trying to figure it out. There's the candles over here burning brightly, and here's this writing on the wall. Daniel comes in, and Daniel is a prophet and does not care what the king thinks about it. He's going to come in and tell truth. And so look what happened. Uh, verse 13, Then was Daniel brought in before the king. Now look at the king. i just tell you why. 
And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the, the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? Acts like he knows all about it, you know. I have even heard of thee. <laughs> yeah, two minutes ago. That's as sick as a preacher acting like he knew somebody all their life when they pass away. He preaches their funeral. He never met them before and he gets up and acts like he knew them all their life. That's just sick. That makes me sick. I don't do that at funerals. That's, that's nonsense. Just get up and preach the gospel and admit the fact you didn't know somebody. Um, really, this, this proud bozo. I haven't even heard of thee. But the spirit of the gods is in thee. The light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. He's trying to play unto Daniel's pride. The only problem he's got is Daniel doesn't have pride. It doesn't work. And so, he goes, I mean, he has it, but it's under control. Every human being has it to a degree, but he's not given into it by any means in his life. And look what he says in verse 16. He says again, I have heard of thee. Does it make anybody else sick? I hate the politic and schmoozing stuff. And that's what this guy's good at. I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing, make known unto me the interpretation there. You see, he's being the big king. Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet. Have a chain of gold about thy neck. Shall be third ruler of the kingdom. Now watch what Daniel does. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. <laughs> Keep your gifts. I love these Old Testament prophets. And give thy rewards to another. Yet I'll read the writing unto the king. And he said, I don't want what you have, but I'll tell you what it says. And make known to him the interpretation. Notice Daniel didn't start out, O king, live forever with this guy because he knows that ain't happening. O thou king, the most high God. To get what he's saying, he's in a room full of uh, at least, well, well over a thousand people. You have a thousand of the princes and stuff. All of them worshiping multiple gods. And so he starts out with the most high God. Not your gods. God. The most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom. He puts a point to it. Belshazzar, this whole kingdom, God gave it to your father. Don't you understand that? He did that. And majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. And that's absolutely how it was in Nebuchadnezzar's day. Uh, man, I tell you what, I, I study secular history. I study Bible. Of course, believe the Bible. No, it's completely accurate. I study a lot. And I'm going to tell you, that's a fact. You talk about, a, you talk about an, an army and, 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 a, and a kingdom that had wielded some influence, power, and, and fear among other nations. This was it. He says, whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. He was an absolute... Uh, autocratic monarch. He didn't ask anybody's opinion. He didn't have anybody he answered to. He just did what he was going to do up until God slapped him down and made an ox out of him. Um, whom he, I mean, not literally, but he lived like an ox. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when, remember me telling you about these things that destroy kings? When his, Nebuchadnezzar's heart, was what? Lifted up. Hmm. Now look at the next one, because it's not just a psychological statement. It is also an organic statement. And his mind was what? Hardened in pride. There's a physiological change that pride causes in you. Just like anger does. Just like other things do. Anybody know that the hardening of the arteries 
and those such things as a serious medical problem? Do you know that such things as the hardening in those uh, uh, parts of you which supply blood to the uh, brain and such can lead to dementia and other problems that happen with our thinking? Do you know that pride will literally harden your mind? Some of the neuroplasticity with which God made you will go away. That's why pride people, proud, prideful people, it's one of the reasons why they have trouble learning anything. Part of it's because they know so much they don't listen to him by the other part is something actually happens in the brain. If you humble yourself, you'd be amazed what it might do for you physically. You might be able to learn your entire life. You might not have, even though you're going to age and chronologically you have your, your body, this flesh and blood can't live forever, but you don't have to get old while you're aging. God can help you with it. I'm not poking at people who've had a stroke, have something going on. Have, I'm not poking at people like that. And if anybody we have guests with, anybody knows this church knows I'm not. All I'm pointing out to you is, hey, there's enough dangers to us in this life with the way we're built. Why are we going to add to them? Hey, what do we use? What's the term we use? When somebody's real prideful, won't listen to anybody, what kind of headed do we say they are? Hard-headed, right? What did you say over here? Yeah, yeah that. And then hard-headed, they're, what, Why? Why are we using that term? Because that's what it is. It's amazing. Every once in a while, modern society catches up with the Bible. When his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, well, I tell you what, that's, that ought to be something we all pay attention to. He was deposed. In other words, somebody of more authority and power set him down. He was deposed, watch this, from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men. This is why I took time to tell you a little bit about it. And his heart was made like the beast. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. And they fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. He was living outside. Till, how long that last? Till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men. And that he, the Most High God, appointed it. Over it, whomsoever he will. Remember the last statement that Nebuchadnezzar made right before he became in that condition? Is not this great Babylon which I have built for the glory of my majesty and by the power of my might? Boom. Then came a voice from heaven saying, what, the, the hammer was dropped on him at that point. There you go. I, w- I wonder how many people get to the one statement too far in their life. Hmm. So, Daniel kind of recounts things for him. He's a prophet. You love what a prophet does? Keep your gifts. Let me teach you something about what you ought to know. And now let me tell you what's happening. Verse 22, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Now, he is a prophet. He doesn't mess around. He, he's not one of these, you know. Well, I think if you can draw some type of analogy to help your journey today. No! Get right! And just there, you know, I think the proper term would be unequivocal. Is that a good term for that? Thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heavens, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou hast, and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver. And that's funny, he wasn't even in the room or in the, around there when they did it, huh? And gold of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is. Hey, you forgot somebody, Nebuchadnezzar. 
That's the one who actually holds, or, or, or Belshazzar rather, somebody who actually holds your life. And whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified? Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. You've seen this maybe different places and heard it. Mene, Mene, Tiko, Eupharsin. Nobody can figure out what that meant. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Time's up. Party's over. It's done. Tikal, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. The Medo-Persian Empire is what came in and took over that night. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet against his will, put a chain of gold about his neck against his will, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Congratulations. I have just made you third ruler of a kingdom which no longer exists. And Darius the medium took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. But let me conclude today by drawing your attention back to verse 27. He said there, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Now the word wanting is not... Uh, it can be tied to a hunger or desire for something, but to be in want of something is lacking it. If I said, I want a glass of water, the reason would be because I lack water. That's why the want is there. So anytime we speak of a want of something, there's a lack of it. And he said to him, you're weighed in the balances and you are found wanting or you are found lacking. How many of you in this room have in your mind, you know what the old-fashioned balances look like? With the little scales on each side, how many of you that's the case? Uh, okay, I won't have to do my hand artwork for you. Okay. Uh, but just for, for remembrance sake with this, you have a center support column, if you will. You have arms that go over it, and then you have some type of thing hanging down. Usually it's a dish type thing, different size according to what they were doing. And those are suspended down. And what would happen is, if you were going to go in and you wanted to buy, I'm going to use our measurements, if you wanted to go in and you wanted to buy a, a pound of, of wheat, they would take a one pound weight. By the way, God says a lot about the weights being right, not, not messing with weights. And take a one pound weight and they would put it on this side. And then they would take a bag and they'd put some wheat in it and then they'd put it on there. If they put it on there and that went up and this weight went up, then there was too much. That was too much. So they'd let a little out or whatever. They'd put that bag of wheat on this side over here and uh, then this side would go up. Well, then what would happen is that would be found wanting. It didn't have a full pound in it. What you were looking for was a place where the balance came to that scale. So in other words, whatever the measurement of weight was, whatever the standard was for the measurement of weight was on this side, and whatever the object was was put on this side, and if the object did not measure up, it was found wanting. Alright. He was we weighed in the balances and found wanting. Let me show you a New Testament verse and give you something good here. Look in Acts chapter 17. Look in Acts chapter 17.
And let me I'm going to be let me just go real specific with this. Look in verse uh, should be thirty one. Let me let me lead into it, verse thirty just for continuity, but look at it. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Okay, because he hath appointed a day in which he God will judge the world in righteousness. Look at the standard or the measurement by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, as Paul was speaking here at, at Athens and, and at the uh, uh, in the uh, temple there, or not the temple, but he was there at the uh, mount. Help me, I lost it. Somebody, where was he at? You know it. It's on the Acropolis. It sticks out. It's a promontory. It comes out the side of Mars Hill. And think it's part, it's part of part of the Acropolis in Athens. Uh, Greece, and so he was. Uh, we was preaching there, and he's preaching to different philosophers that came to him. He had the Epicureans and the Stoics there. The Epicureans were the party crowd. If it feels good, it do it, do it, man. You know, uh, you know, only, you know, life's short, so live it up. That, that's them. They basically sens- live a sensual life, everything for the senses. The Stoics are on the other side, elevating uh, reason and understanding to a point where they uh, almost try to shut off the emotional side of man, and you know, we just do this. And he preached to both of them, Christ crucified and resurrected. Some mocked him. Some said, we will hear thee again of this matter. And some clave unto him. So it's about like any evangelistic outreach like that. Some people didn't want to hear it. Some people said, now nah, we're going to think about it. And other people actually accepted the Lord. So that's what was going on when he was preaching this. And he makes the statement, Paul does by the Spirit of God, he makes the statement. He said, God hath appointed a day. Look what it says in verse 31. He said, there's a day appointed in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man that he hath Chosen. What is he talking about? He is talking about Jesus Christ. If you think back to the balance, now waiting the balance down one thing. On one side is put the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You ever read Romans chapter one and two, part chapter three, the description of us in our natural state? It's not pretty. It's not flattering. Over here is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I mean, I've been dealing with people personally about their souls ever since I received the Lord in 1980. And I will tell you, uh, you don't know how many times I've heard, I'm good as anybody else. Well, I'm not as bad as some. That's not the issue. That's not the measurement. The standard, the weight over here is not your neighbor. It's not that hypocrite you knew who went to church, who freaked you out so bad you don't get around church even though you go to Walmart and be elbow to elbow with you. Um, it's, not that, it's not that person in your family who lived a double life. It's not that co-worker you know that goes to church and you live better than they do. That's not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. One day we're going to be put in the balance of Him. See how we measure. If you think on your own you measure up to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you're one of two things. You're like I was coming up, you know nothing about the Bible. That's where I was when I was 15. Or if you know something about the Bible and you think that, you're an arrogant fool. Because here's the measurement. is Jesus Christ. Who did no sin. All points, tempted like as we are, 
yet without sin. Who was, who, why did he do? He gave himself, he was made to become sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what happens? When you believe on Christ, there's a Bible word that's called imputation or imputed. God accounts something or gives something to you because of his mercy and love, not because of our, our worthiness for seed. And you know what he gives us? He gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are literally clothed in His righteousness. People, I took this jacket, chose to wear this today. I put this on. When you look at me up here, you saw me with the, uh, with the jacket. You see that on. God looks at us, He sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's a day of judgment coming when we will be measured against the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No religious ceremony, Baptist or any other kind, no moral reformation. Although we certainly would applaud some efforts of that. No religious observance can substitute for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul writing under inspiration of the Spirit said about the Jewish nation and his heart broke for him. He said, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. It was an eye-opening thing to me. And I know this would be obvious to me, but to me it was eye-opening when I realized, you know, I think about somebody going about to establish their own righteousness. I think about people I've dealt with that say, oh, I've got, I've got my own thing worked out between me and God. And, you know, they talk that way. That's, you know, I've worked in a lot of different things around different construction supply and stuff. I've heard all this stuff when I witness some people. And he's, and, 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 well, I've got some mean big man upstairs. What's that mean? Some, you know, someone fat looks above me? What are you talking about? And that's, 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 that's nonsense talk. Well, we got something worked out. Mean big guy upstairs. Worked, you know, I've heard that kind of language. And in my mind, the thing more establish their own righteousness. Or somebody starting some whacked out religious call, you know. But it's not what was going on in that verse when it said that. These were Jewish people who had the Old Testament law, who were taking God's book, they were giving sacrifice, and they were doing the things that said in God's book, but the whole problem was they were doing it to establish their own righteousness. They were following what was the religious observance put forth in the Scripture, and they were saying, hey, look at me. Look how righteous I am because I do this. Look how righteous I am. I'm a Pharisee. Look at my factories. I have the little Scripture rolled up and on me, almost like an amulet to ward off evil. Why? Look at this. Look at me. Look what I do. Look how often I fast. Look how often I tithe. Look at the offerings I get. Look at the sacrifice I did. Look how I go up to the temple. Look how I attend synagogue. Look how I do all this. Look at me. Look, I do all this. I've got to be righteous. God said you've not submitted yourself to the righteousness of God that lets you know that all religious observance without a heart of repentance towards God is worth nothing at all. Yeah. And what the most wonderful thing is, you come as a broken, busted sinner and say to God, God, i got nothing to offer. I don't even know what all I need. And God said, you believe me? I did. I don't understand everything. I got saved. I literally couldn't find the book of Genesis. I don't understand everything, but I've heard the gospel. I heard Christ died in my place. He rose again. Lord, I'm willing to trust you. A little baby trust is like, but you know what? God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You give me your trust, 
I'll give you my righteousness. That balance where I was severely wanting, pulled right in the balance. My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground churches sing and say. All other ground sing and say. Party's over. Someday in your life, personally, the party's going to be over. Someday our nation, the party's going to be over. May we, like Daniel, be in the hand of God at that time. We'll outlive the turmoil and do what we ought to do if we do that. Let me pray with you. I'm done this morning. Father, thank you for your words. The tenderness of these people gathered. I pray, Lord, that You'll do the work that I can't do. I've tried to order my words aright, but it's Your Spirit that has to convict, convince, and convert. And Lord, I pray You will. Oh, may this please be a day where You show Yourself strong here. Meet with us, I ask, please. Let me ask you while your heads are bowed. Please, let's be respectful, attentive. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't believe in that. I don't believe deal with people that way. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? I didn't ask you a theological statement. Is He the Savior? Is He your Savior? Do you understand your righteousness? We'll never get it done. That the Bible says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We have nothing to offer. If not, then if I were talking to you one-on-one, I would ask you, I'd say, friend, this morning, you need to realize and admit to God your need. Confess that you need Him. Ask Christ to come into your heart. Don't worry about ordering the words right. He knows your heart. Has God's Spirit shown you you need Him this morning? Then would you at this time open your heart's door to Christ and say, Lord, come in. We use all the different expressions trying to explain, but it's this simple. Do you trust Him for who He said He is and what He could do? Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, did He die for you? Did He rise with power? The answer to all those is yes. Will you believe and accept Him? We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. I'll pray, and when I'm done praying, we'll have an invitation. If myself or someone else can help you, that people in this room can take a Bible, and you don't need to leave this property not knowing that you're saved. By the way, don't let being a member of this church keep you from knowing for sure that you're saved. Over the years, God's touched the hearts of a number of people who've been attending here, gave a profession, but they, at some point the Holy Spirit of God showed them they needed Christ. Do what you ought to do before the Lord. That's right. Invitation's always open here. You don't have to wait for a certain time. But let me pray with you now. Father, I pray You'll work. and Give wisdom to us who help others, please. Amen. Let's stand together and join this one who's come and come to the altar. No need to be timid. We won't make a show out of you. But we'll show you what the Gospel says. How you can know according to the Scripture that Christ is your Savior. And I couldn't explain the theological stance of it when I got saved when I was 15. All I knew is, thank God, I was finally free and clean. I've been learning what that was about all these years since then. And oh my goodness, what a great heritage. A song invitation, why don't you come this morning?